All right, we are back. You know, there was a letter in the Chronicle about an article related to that uh, yogurt story. Didn't have time to research the original, but I liked the letter that was written in response to it. It's from uh, Peggy Borgman from Saratoga, who said the following. Okay, let me get this straight. The government is conducting armed raids on dairies that sell raw milk. From the Fed's wage war on raw milk, May 22nd. Yet... Let's me buy food that is so toxic to my family it has to carry safe handling instructions. Factory farms that knowingly produce chicken and eggs teeming with salmonella are not considered a threat to public health, but an impeccably clean organic raw milk dairy is treated like a meth lab. I used to think the food freedom activists were being paranoid about this stuff. Not anymore. The federal government is broke, but we're hiring 18,000 food police to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. How did this happen? The former CEO of genetically modified organism powerhouse Monsanto is now our Secretary of Agriculture and Head of Food Safety. Talk about the fox guarding the hen house. And two letters from the Sacramento Bee, which we cannot resist, are one from Leif Eric Lang regarding the article Mayor Maloof's Hail New Arena proposal. Said Mr. Lang, I recently attended only my fourth event at the existing quote, obsolete, unquote, arena, and found it surprisingly adequate in every way. Compared with many other pressing public needs in this region, I can't imagine how a new arena can possibly be a priority, let alone, apparently, the highest priority. Amplified by a letter from Alice Gruber, who said, I cannot believe that in a state capital, when libraries, pools, and animal shelters are struggling to provide service, the mayor and the city council are seriously discussing a new arena. And please tell me, who does that benefit? The greater Sacramento community or a few? Ridiculous, or rather, sickening. Speaking of sickening things in publication, I was quite taken aback by last week's California Aggie, which contained a half-page ad by the David Horowitz Freedom Center, which was described as being published as a public service. This paid advertisement made the following statements, among others. The Palestinians' case against Israel is based on a genocidal lie. The Palestinian Authority on the West Bank and the Hamas government of Gaza both claim that Israel is occupied Palestine. This is a lie. Israel does not occupy Palestine. When Israel was created in 1948, there was no Palestine to occupy. There has never been a political entity, state, or country called Palestine in the Middle East. Noted the piece, for reasons I'm not clear, the derivation of the name Palestine is Roman, not Arabic. It was a name affixed to the Jewish homeland as an insult and punishment when Rome conquered Jerusalem and dispersed most of the Jews who lived there to the four corners of the globe. It goes downhill from there. Saying things like, It is true that the Arabs of the West Bank and Gaza are suffering, but they're suffering because of 60 years of Arab aggression, 60 years of Arabs rejecting peace, and 60 years of Arab wars to destroy the Jewish state. Well, with all due respect to David Horowitz, he has a somewhat biased and not terribly accurate view of Middle Eastern history. But it does appear that here in the United States, only the most uh, zealous right-wing voices speak up to represent that of the Israeli people. The Christian Science Monitor said last week, in a bold attempt to jumpstart the stalled Middle East peace process, President Obama displayed uncommon grit. Obama made a major address on the Arab Spring, warning Israel that the growing hunger for freedom in the region 
makes the creation of a separate Palestinian state more urgent than ever. In speeches and an icy face-to-face meeting with in the White House, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu reacted with fury, asserting that Israel would never retreat to, quote, indefensible, unquote, 1967 borders, and branded Obama's plan a radical departure from past U.S. policy. Writing about that in TheAtlantic.com, Jeffrey Goldberg said, As a supporter of Israel, I find Netanyahu's disrespectful hissy fit puzzling and alarming. Inciting the 1967 borders as a basis for negotiations, Obama was simply using the same framework that Bill Clinton, Ehud Barak, and Yasser Arafat talked about in Camp David 12 years ago. The week summarized the U.S. reaction to Obama's comments as, Under Obama's peace proposal, colon, an affront to Israel? Question mark? Richard Cohen, writing in the Washington Post, said, I sympathize with Bibi's fears of Israel's enemies, but events have made his belligerent black-and-white worldview dangerously obsolete. At current birth rates, Arabs will soon outnumber Jews inside Israel's borders. The world now sides with the Palestinians. It's time to make a deal. By the way, The Week magazine quoted uh, Alon Pincus writing in Mahariv in Israel saying, Most Israelis agree with Obama. The president expressed what the stem of the Israeli tree thinks, not its branches on the right or on the left. The far right may want to keep every Jewish settlement in the West Bank and all of Jerusalem, but most of us have understood for years that peace will mean land swaps. We will try to continue to follow this story as uh, a groundswell moves for recognition of Palestinian statehood, slated for a discussion at the UN General Assembly this coming September. We've been sitting on a little blurb from reported in the Associated Press last March that Israel is considering annexing major West Bank settlement blocks if the Palestinians unilaterally seek world recognition of a state. That was according to an Israeli official. The piece noted that Israel has refrained from taking such a diplomatically explosive step for four decades. The fact that it is considering doing so reflects how seriously it is concerned by the Palestinian campaign to win international recognition of a state in the absence of peacemaking. Well, we're running out of time, doggone it. I want to talk about my visit to the Nixon uh, Presidential Library, but that'll have to wait. All right, in the time we have left, we want to do an obituary. The passing of musician Gil Scott Heron. The obits noted that he was widely considered as one of the godfathers of rap with his, per- with his piercing social and political prose laid against the backdrop of minimalist percussion, flute, and other instrumentation. It was noted that long before Public Enemy urged the need to fight the power, Gil Scott Heron was articulating the rage and disillusionment of the black masses through song and spoken word. His was a life full of groundbreaking revolutionary music and personal turmoil that included a battle with crack cocaine and stints behind bars. Gil Scott Heron was known for work that reflected the fury of black America in the post-civil rights era and spoke to the social and political disparities in the country. He came to prominence in the 1970s as black America was grappling with the violent losses of some of its most promising leaders and what seemed to many to be the broken promises of the civil rights movement. Gil Scott Heron was made famous by his song, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. I'm sure our own, our good pal Dr. Andy Jones would agree that that is poetry and poetry of the highest quality. The song has a bit of a hypnotic quality to it. 
I think some of the social references may be lost on younger listeners, being the song is 40 years old. But maybe on next week's show, we'll have a chat with our, our pal Dr. Andy about the revolution will not be televised. It was noted that while he was never a mainstream artist, he was an influential voice, so much that his music was considered to be a precursor of rap, and he's influenced generations of hip-hop artists that would follow. That about does it for today's program. Our profuse thanks to the legendary Norman Lloyd, and we'll have uh, more excerpts from our chat with him uh, over the months to come. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and I'll see you next week at the same time. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on stag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on report from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on a rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still life of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Beverly Hillbillies and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on Search for Tomorrow because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry R. Women Liberationist and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Key nor sung by Glenn Campbell. Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or the rare earth, the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live.